Welcome back to Game of Thrones 2 Electric Bookaloo. I'm your host, Anthony. As we move into Season 3, Chad and I will be talking about Ned's first small council meeting. Steve and I will be talking about Valar Duharas. One of the things I learned from your feedback was that you really love when we have medievalists on. And, of course, Jenna Matthews is our go-to medievalist. And I thought, well, if people want more Jenna, let's give them more Jenna. So in Season 3, we're going to have Jana Matthews on every week to answer a listener question. Of course, in order to make this work, we're going to need your help. Please email to book at baldmove.com if you have a question for Jana. This can relate to a parallel to a character in Game of Thrones. Does that character have an analog in the medieval world? Or it can relate to customs or lifestyle in the medieval world. So, book at baldmove.com. Without further ado, here is Medievalist. Jenna Matthews. So, Jenna, the way that we did this initial recording, as you already know, but the listeners don't know, is that you sent me a list of 10 questions that you commonly get asked in your classrooms. Mm -hmm. And I've chosen a few of those that I really like. And then what we did was a few of the emailers that expressed their undying love for you sent me a list of questions that they are interested in. So my thanks to Elizabeth and Leslie and Zara and Rebecca, who sent these initial questions just to kind of kick us off, get us started. Here's one that I liked. Did they have condoms in the Middle Ages? Uh, Yeah, they absolutely did have condoms. We have some historical evidence and archaeological evidence of that. They were made out of uh, intestines, usually, of of kind of animals and sort of sewn together to make kind of a, you know, obviously a tube. You know, the effectiveness of said condoms, we are not really sure. You know, we, there was absolutely knowledge about how babies were made. So it Uh wasn't like this sort of miracle gift from God. Um, It was they knew that sex and that, um, you know, ejaculation, like you it know, was in some way baby. related, yeah, right. It was in some <laughs> way related to like the formation of a baby. And then if you could stop that, right. Or prevent that uh-huh. from happening, then you also could prevent pregnancy. Yeah. Um, so we don't, you know, because those materials disintegrate over time, we don't, uh, you know, there's not a lot of like written record about them, but yeah, they, they did use them to whatever sense of mm-hmm. efficacy. We were not entirely sure. And I, I'm willing to go out on a limb here and say that uh, Robert Baratheon either didn't know about these or he just wasn't a big fan. Yeah, I mean, like in a culture where, um, you know, kids are economic goods and they're like like, like you have children in order to help like work on the farm or you have them for social status in, in the case of high ranking um, individuals or because you need an heir and a spare and like in some with a high mortality rate, right. 10 spares, uh, then, you know, there, there may be lots of reasons why you wouldn't want to practice um, uh-huh. you know, or have contraception. Just the phrase, the an heir and a spare kind of shows you how children were something of a commodity. Right? Yeah. I mean, like, well, yeah, like I think it doesn't diminish a, a parental love for their children. And I think that that's also a, a misconception is mm. that just simply because by having so many and then having them die so frequently must have meant that parents didn't care for their kids. Yeah, and I think yeah. that, you know, people are people. And, um, you know, we'd like to think that, uh, you know, and we have lots of evidence to suggest that, that the parents did love their children, but, you know, for sure. Like, I think if you were in a position where you, it was in your vested interest to have 
your family line preserved and was mm. necessary, then you needed to have a lot of kids just to play the odds. And I'm just kind of guessing here because, you know, this is sort of pre-scientific revolution, that the purpose of the prophylactic would be to hinder baby making. And they wouldn't have had any idea that this would actually stop the spread of disease or anything. Yeah, really no concept of that, I I think. This is syphilis was rampant uh, throughout the Middle Ages. And so, you know, but syphilis was also typically associated with women um, Mm. and women's morality. And so it was never uh, or very rarely thought of as something that men passed on and that they were potential carriers. And we know that obviously syphilis can be passed on from, from females to males, but um, and, and vice versa. But uh, yeah, it was, it was not necessarily a spread of disease, like sexually transmitted diseases or just disease in general. They knew that they existed, but it was largely a, a problem of female morality and sin. As opposed so it was to- really kind of a superstitious and misogynistic explanation for where syphilis came from. Yeah, absolutely. Chad, just like Ned Stark, weary off the road, I put it upon you to record this podcast directly after you got back from a trip. Yes. I think you were you were actually pressuring me before I yeah. left for the trip. I know. I, I was. And no, I but I, I really like coming on and you are was... you are a little like Ned and I am a little like Varus. that right you you have a a sickly sweet smell like flowers (laughs) on a grave (laughs) there are so many ways that i'm not like varus but there are so many ways that i am that i just kind of i i kind of try to see past varus's grossness from time to time because uh, i enjoy the things about him certain things about him do you use powder on your skin i don't use powder and i don't smell like roses on a grave or whatever do you wear slippers sometimes i was wearing <laughs> slippers last night <laughs> you're the, not that the... much like Varys, man sure i am yeah. <laughs> i think that's who you that's who you said you were like right when you when you answered the question <laughs> who you were most like you said you were I, like no Varys. no no i said that other people when other people see me they see me as Varys. uh-huh deep down i i know that i'm an aria style ninja uh-huh yeah um, but I do keep my cards close. Mm-hmm. I do, uh, because I'm an introvert, I, I can put on sort of uh, a personable affect for political strategery. That's just being yeah. a good office mate, I think. Oh, come on. Come on. Sure. Deep down, you are a sweet guy. That's what I think. I think that I'm just a really good at fooling you on this. No, no way. I've that's seen how too good. Much. I, that's I've how good I am. That those are my various. Skills. There's la- see. You're, there's layers and layers and layers, and there is a maybe a layer where you're pretending, but then underneath <laughs> that, maybe there's there's a, a mean layer, and then underneath that, still, there's a sweet layer. You can't trick me. I've known you too long. Maybe, maybe. Uh, well, you know, we we have moments. Yeah. Moments. Um. So yeah, I appreciate you coming on. Now, one of these days, we're gonna do an Ed chapter, and it won't be Chad Carmichael, and Ugh. people are gonna 
people are going to lose it. I'm going to get yeah. all kinds of emails because yeah. I think people have come to expect that uh, Professor Carmichael will be. Well, I heard you talking about, you know, the show and you had taken you, you had you had solicited some emails from listeners. Mm. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and, and good, and good response. And yeah. I appreciate the, all of the feedback. I really didn't know if I was an academic or a super fan because I don't really I'm not very academic in my appearances. Well, know? here's here's what would make you an academic. So you're a yeah. professor and you're a professional thinker. So you're going to bring something different than like a super fan would bring. However, unlike many other guests who I've had on here, usually the the professors that I find to talk about this stuff have either like they've written an essay on Game of Thrones or they've taught a class on Game of Thrones and I found their syllabus online or something like that. In that way, you are a super fan because you because you are such a serious man, you would never like teach a class like introduction to philosophy through Game of Thrones or something like that. Uh, I don't know. I might. I mean, I've taught intro to philosophy through film and used popular films for that. And I, I think it's a really good way, actually, to to do an intro to philosophy course. I'm not opposed to that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know that I see a lot of philosophical content in these books. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, you can always find something. I mean, if you if you scratch deep enough, but well, I will say this, the one class that I taught that was sort of philosophy adjacent, which was yeah. an ethics class. Mm-hmm. I did use Game of Thrones. I think right. that there are ethical discussions to be had. Yeah. Yeah, I suppose that, that might be right. Stemming I don't teach from... a lot of ethics. So. so, And you were one of the people that helped me think through how to teach that class. Oh, I don't even remember. That yeah. This was back when I was at University of the Pacific. And you explained to me in very simple terms the difference between deontology and consequentialism. Oh, right. Okay. Okay. And I argued, and I continue to argue, that Ned is a great example of deontology. Yeah, I think that's fair. Think and that's fair. that Varus is a great example of consequentialism. Oh, you think so? I I, I, I find so. Varus, uh, I find him so mysterious that it's hard for me, even after you've read through the, the existing books, I, I still find him somewhat of a question mark. Well, I think that he presents himself to Ned at the end of a game of thrones as someone who's a consequentialist in that he says look it doesn't matter what's true lie say that you tried to take the throne you'll get yeah. to take the black and you'll get to save your children's lives right look it's the consequences of this decision that are the important it's not right, your right. it's not the code you're trying to live up to right. and in the end ned agrees to take Varys's plan yeah but it doesn't work out (laughs) (laughs) no it doesn't no it doesn't the the one time ned decides to well i shouldn't say the one time but but ned does decide to depart from his code and uh things go as bad as you could imagine ned you know ned thinks he's duty bound but he's probably it's probably a little bit true that he's fooling himself Well, I think that here's what you have to add to the mix. This is where it gets really complicated because Ned is very tribal. Yeah. Right. I think that truly a true deontologist would have to kind of 
have this idea of, of what the tribe has taught, mm -hmm. but then create an abstract like right, good right. and live up to that abstract good where sometimes if you're truly tribal, it's like, yeah, but how, what's my wife going to think about that? Or you're going to make a decision that you think is for the good of the tribe right? that sort of steps away from the abstraction of the ideal. Right, right. So I feel like in his heart of hearts, he wants, he strives to be a deontologist. Yeah, maybe a kind of low deontologist whose duty is primarily to his tribe. And yeah. Sort of these institutions that don't really deserve his. Where would you put Kant on this? I, w I would put Kant as a high deontologist. Oh, yeah, yeah. Sort of paradigmatically, he is a deontologist. Famously, he would say something like, you know, it is never okay to lie. Yeah, yeah. Something People like really that. dislike that uh, view of his. Yeah, I, I think, he, you know, literally, if the, 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 the old example is, you know, the Nazis come to the door and you're hiding Jews or something, like he would say, you can't lie. Yeah, you can't lie. What would he say to, like, a true statement that's meant to deceive? Like, to say, like, yeah, like, laugh it off. Like, yeah, we've got, like, two dozen up in our attic right now, you know, really <laughs> dripping with sarcasm. Yeah, what I, would I actually say don't to know. that? I don't know. I, I, I'm not. Uh, I'm not well versed enough in the theory to say. Okay. All right. So I feel like I ought to do a synopsis of this chapter. This is Ned's fourth POV chapter. Here's my synopsis. Ned arrives in King's Landing two weeks after the direwolf incident with Joffrey. He's exhausted from the road, but he's put upon to attend a small council meeting right away. He meets Varys, Littlefinger, Pycelle, and Renly. He learns that Robert has called for an expensive tournament and, more importantly, that the crown is in debt to the tune of six million gold dragons. Ned leaves in a huff, trying to make sense of the situation, but Littlefinger hijacks the rest of his day. Baelish claims that Cat is in the city, and so Ned, albeit wary and weary, follows. After a climb down a rock face and a Ride to the brothel. Ned finds that Cat really is waiting for him. He learns of the intrigue at Winterfell, the knife, the supposed Lannister plot, puzzles over it all. Littlefinger promises to help, which, to which Ned concedes. He tells Cat to return to the north without seeing the girls. Chad Carmichael, do you want to talk about a character, a plot point, a theme, or shall you and I just climb the ladder of chaos i'm gonna pass on the ladder this time mm -hmm. people are is the the ladder is becoming the ladder is kind of like it's so 2020 no i don't agree i think you should have ladder think, of chaos merch i think we cool. need to get rid of the ladder you need t-shirts and mugs that have the ladder of chaos <laughs> <laughs> all right so you're well, gonna pass i am the not gonna climb it today i i am not i have a specific question Mm -hmm. And my question is, you know, Ned, Ned has just shown up in King's Landing. I'm going to pause you right there. Let's. I want to go meta for a second. Okay. Is it possible to climb the ladder of chaos? Because Littlefinger seems to think that chaos is a ladder. <laughs> I think of it like a pile of rubble. And you <laughs> might be able to climb, but it's not a ladder. And you might die. You might die trying to climb the rubble. I always picture being on a halfway up a very long ladder 
and it's on fire. That's always what I oh, picture. It's, it's, yeah, all right. So I don't know whether to go up or down. I'm afraid I'm going to fall to my death. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I don't know how much longer before I'm going to, my hands are going to get burned and I can't keep climbing. That's how I picture it. Yeah. I don't even think that, I mean, I think the little finger does okay climbing the ladder of chaos, but I think that he's better at creating chaos and like he's hit or miss on benefiting from chaos. For all the reputation that he has as some sort of evil genius, mm-hmm. I am just entirely unimpressed by Littlefinger. <laughs> In this chapter, I'm unimpressed by him. And it's sad that I'm even less impressed by Ned and cat in this chapter <laughs> i'm pretty i'm i'm pretty impressed by Littlefinger, but let's wait and let's let's save that for uh let's tease that for later in the podcast okay so my question is ned just showed has has just arrived uh-huh. in the thick of things here right right and he gets to the city immediately he's drawn into a small council meeting he he doesn't even have time to get his own clothing so they have to put him <laughs> And some borrowed clothes. Yeah. Uh, he's he's clearly just a fish out of water right from the get-go. He's clearly throughout the chapter trying to get his feet under him. My question is, what should Ned have done? In the wake of, of what happened in this chapter, what should he be thinking? What should he be planning? Are you talking about the small council or are you talking about what he's learned in the brothel? Uh, both, both. So, so this all happens in the course of, you know, I, yeah. I take it in, in the course of about a couple of hours mm-hmm. and uh, it's sort of his first picture of what's happening here mm-hmm. um, at the center of things. And, and I just think he makes terrible, terrible decisions. And here's what I want to suggest. I think Littlefinger gives him every reason, gives Ned every reason not to trust him, not to trust Littlefinger. Okay. What What is Ned clearly seeing here? He clearly sees that there's a big financial crisis. Littlefinger is the master of coin, so he has to hold some responsibility for that. Mm-hmm. And Littlefinger, from the beginning to the end of the chapter, repeatedly insults and humiliates Ned. Yeah. <laughs> and 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 is clearly making some kind of moves on his wife on top of everything else <laughs> and just comes across as a guy who is clearly not trustworthy so <laughs> i here's what i actually think okay yeah. i actually think if i'm trying to get my mind you know i'm trying to get myself into ned's shoes so i'm not not thinking the way i think right i wouldn't i wouldn't do things that people do in the Game of Thrones world. But my thought, my first thought was, it kind of seems like Ned should kill him right there in the brothel. How much of this is you retrograding some of your your knowledge about what will happen? So, good, good point. It, it's possible that that is what's going on. But, I mean, by the way, when Trip Fuller was on, he suggested something similar, like Cat should just kill him right there. Yeah. But I'm wondering, like, he's clear. Littlefinger is clearly an uncouth man. He's a man without honor. He's a man who 
is opportunistic and he's just a, he's kind of an ass, right? Right. Do does Although, does, does I, any of that warrant immediate death? <laughs> so here's here's what I'm thinking. Ned can see pretty quickly that Robert is in trouble, that the kingdom is in trouble. Uh-huh. There's this financial crisis. It's pretty clear to him that John Aaron, is that how you say his name? Aaron or Aaron? I say Aaron, but I've heard people say Aaron. I honestly, it does pr- name pronunciation doesn't trouble me as it does some <laughs> okay. others in the fandom. Anyway, that guy, yeah. uh, he, he's, you know, Ned thinks he's been murdered. Ned thinks it's the Lannisters who murdered John, but he doesn't really know who all is involved. And he doesn't know who he can trust uh-huh. on the small council. To my way of thinking, he should be looking at the situation as he comes into the small council. He should be thinking, okay, who's on the small council? It's it's uh, Renly, Stannis, uh, Selmy, right? Barristan the Bold, yep. yep. Varys, Littlefinger, and Pycelle. Right. And so I, uh, if I'm Ned, I'm looking at that group and thinking, okay, I need a small council I can trust. I think he can probably he he probably just needs to decide that he's going to trust the Baratheons. His life is just sort of bound up with them. Mm-hmm. So that means Stannis and Renly and and of course Robert are are going to be Ned's trusted people. I think uh, Baristan the Bold right is a, is a good bet for Ned. I think Ned should probably size him up as a guy that can be trusted. The rest of them are are really questionable, right? All right. All right. Pause right there. We've had lots of discussions about about Robert's character. Yeah. So I think that Ned can trust Robert to be Robert. Yeah. But I don't know that he can trust Robert in the way that he would need to trust Robert to do what needs to be done. Fair enough. I mean, I think... on top of that, he thinks that Renly is kind of a, you know, Robert Jr., like, you know, Robert come sure. again or something. So I don't know. I don't know how much Ned can really trust Robert. Not because Robert would do something to, to like, betray Ned, but that Robert always does things to betray himself. Yeah. Well, I so I agree with you that Robert has to be managed. I mean, everybody's constantly trying to manage Robert, right? Uh-huh. Um, but I think Ned can, can trust him in the sense that, you know, if he's well managed and, and Ned makes careful use of Mm. his friendship with Robert, Mm. then he can count on Robert to do a few things. Uh, I don't think it would be useful for Ned to go to Robert and say, Hey, Hey, you know, we really need to rein in the spending. I don't think that's going to work, but you know, maybe what he can do is say, he can Ned can make some moves, and if Robert complains, Ned can say, "Look, you want me to go back to Winterfell? Because I can just I can just resign and go back to Winterfell." And that that's I think that's a yeah. play he can make with Robert, and I think Robert would tolerate a certain amount of that and wouldn't try to undermine Ned or hurt or hurt him. Well, eventually Ned does try that to try to do that. I I think that's the nuclear option. Yeah. Like to resign and go back to Winterfell, which eventually Ned does try to do that. Right. But it it can't be done for like 
a tournament of the hand. It has to be, you have to yeah, save the nuclear enough. option for like, oh, you want to, you want to kill a child. All right. Yeah. That's where I'm out. You know, that, that is Ned's red line. Right. So I just think, okay. So you asked me, am I, am I depending on things I know from reading later, later in the book? Yeah. And I don't think so because I think Ned has every reason to distrust the Lannisters. Uh-huh. In fact, he probably has more reason to distrust them than is ultimately correct, right? Because uh-huh. uh, he believes things about the Lannisters that aren't true. Like he thinks the Lannisters killed John Aaron, and it turns out not to be the case, right? But but he has reason to distrust the Lannisters. He finds out Littlefinger, the master of coin, has put the the kingdom in debt largely to the Lannisters. Littlefinger is self-evidently not trustworthy. Um, I think that you're blaming Littlefinger for Robert's sins. Uh, I think I'm blaming the master of coin, at least in part, for a $6 million, not dollar, dragon. Uh, you should not be, dragon. you should be, bla- all right, so blame John Arryn. John, I mean, look, John Arryn is allowing Robert to beggar the realm, right? Mm-hmm. And then John Arryn turns to the Master of Coin and says, yeah, let's do it anyway. At what point do those two guys, should those two guys be blamed for the situation? Littlefinger is the immoral creature that they've decided to have do their dirty work. You know, he's the guy, but I don't know if that's who you, I don't know that if he's to blame for that. So, okay, so forget about blame. He's at least a facilitator of uh, this financial crisis. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. And, and to the great benefit of uh, the Lannisters, who, who Ned has every reason to think of as villains. So if I were Ned, I would be thinking after the small council meeting, I would be thinking, Littlefinger's out. I can't trust him. Now, mm. that's mm. when Littlefinger starts leading him down to the brothel Mm-hmm. and repeatedly insulting his intelligence <laughs> and humiliating him and calling yeah. him old and uh, <laughs> saying things about his wife and acting like little telling him to fondle breaths. Yes. In the, in the <laughs> and, and I have to say, I mean, um, he's just full of great advice. I didn't really understand why Ned didn't just kick his rear end. I think uh, he probably would have if Roderick hadn't interceded. Yeah, uh, yeah, he probably I, would I, have. I think. Okay, here's. Hmm. Let me frame it like this. Do you remember how in Fellowship, Strider is introduced for the first time? Yeah. He's introduced as this sort of shady character who's kind of sitting in the shadows and, mm-hmm. and he's sort of creepily observing the hobbits and Frodo is like asking about him. Like, who's that guy? And why is he looking at us? And I'm not sure if I can trust him. Right. Right. Tolkien is being subversive in his own way. Like here's the hero of the story, but don't trust your eyes. This guy is actually probably the most trustworthy guy in middle earth. But your eyes will deceive you. He's going to look like a villain, but he's really your ally. Right. I think that with Littlefinger, it's kind of like he, on the surface, he absolutely looks like a villain. Like he's, he's 
being a jerk. He's like he's beggaring the realm. He's being flippant or whatever. And in the end, Ned thinks, but he is Catelyn's old friend, and I do need to ally with someone. So maybe I shouldn't trust my eyes here. Maybe I should trust like that. Cat sees something in him that I I I I just can't see. What Martin is doing is he's saying, nope, there's another level. He looks evil. His motives actually are toward Cat, which seem like, okay, that's pure. But underneath it all, he's actually evil. So there's like three <laughs> levels. Yeah. And Ned's not a three-level guy. Right. Well, but but Ned should be able to tell a few things. Ned should be able to tell after the small council meeting, Littlefinger has at least facilitated this crisis. And we need someone in that position who will help me get us out of the crisis. And that's not going to be Littlefinger. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Okay. Number two, Littlefinger. I can't, at at least you could see that you're not sure whether you can trust him. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so I, I really need someone other than Littlefinger in that position. I really can't tell if I can trust Littlefinger. Yes. I do have to trust somebody, but you know who that somebody is going to be. It's going to be the Baratheons and Baristan. Uh, th- those are going to be yeah. the people that I'm that I'm choosing to trust. Yeah, I, I get it. I, I hear what you're saying. And then saying. finally, finally, I don't like this guy. He has to be thinking, right? I don't like him. I don't like the way he talks to me. Yeah. I don't like the way he acts toward my wife. <laughs> and and so I just he his decision. Oh, I think I'm just going to trust Littlefinger. Uh-huh. It's like the stupidest choice it just doesn't make any sense it's almost like he just wants to punish himself (laughs) it's like he thinks and it says that in the chapter right he says something like what does he say where is it in here uh i can't find it in here okay i'm gonna read it okay at least i'm gonna read what i think that you want me to read right it was true enough that they needed help and Littlefinger had been almost a brother to cat once It would not be the first time that Ned had been forced to make common cause with a man he despised. (laughs) That's so stupid. (laughs) I want to ask you about that. I I, finished what you were going to say, but I want to ask you about that. It's like he he's he's maybe one of these kind of he's got this kind of Puritan instinct, right? Where whatever the most miserable, the most the most unpleasant course of action would be for him personally, that must be the right thing. (laughs) That's. Mm. That's not, uh, he's not thinking clearly here. What he should be thinking is, oh no, Kat, you told him that we suspect the Lannisters. I don't know if he's in league with the Lannisters. What I do know is that he's facilitated a debt that benefits the Lannisters. And now you've told him this. Before that moment, I would actually think he shouldn't kill Littlefinger. But it's at that moment that I think maybe he needs to kill Littlefinger. How is any of this worthy of death? Because if he goes uh, and tells the Lannisters that they suspect, uh, war will will likely break out. And indeed, that's, that's in fact, I think, what Littlefinger probably mm, wants. Mm, I see. And we know that Ned is aware that the events leading up to this require some sort of war planning anyway, right? Right, right. I just want to repeat as well. I mean, you know, this is a, it's a, it's a sad world and a, and a horrible system where, where you come into a situation like this and you start thinking about murdering a guy. Um, <laughs> I don't, like I don't, your first day at the office, like you're just meeting yeah. new people. 
Yeah, this is the darkness of this story as it makes you think these things. But yeah, I mean, I think I think his best play, what would be best for for the realm and for and for the kingdom and for Robert, who he serves his friend, I think what would be best for all those things is for him to either. So there's I think there's actually kind of a fork in the road here. I can think of two ways to handle Littlefinger. One is he could just kill him. Yeah. And the benefit of that would be uh, not only all the things I've already mentioned, but also it would sort of send this this message or we give this impression of Ned as being kind of, um, you know, the, the rumor would be that he killed Littlefinger out of jealousy because Littlefinger was moving on his wife or something. Right. And, and maybe it would, that would be a, a, an impression, a false impression. I think that Ned could exploit in some way or other. Mm. Um, the other way he could deal with Littlefinger is he could just not kill him and Take note of the fact that Littlefinger has made it clear that that he's at odds with Varys, and approach Varys to to find out what Varys thinks about what should be done about Littlefinger. He hates. I think he hates Varys even more than Littlefinger. Uh huh. Yeah, I think so too. And I think what he should be thinking though is he should be thinking Varys and Littlefinger are both big problems because I I can't trust either one of them, and I don't really understand what's motivating either one of them. And so the, uh, the other thought, if he's not going to kill Littlefinger, he should approach Varys with the idea of figuring a little bit more out about Varys. I think you're being very hasty, Chad. <laughs> I, think you're being very I think Varys is a big problem, you know, from Ned's perspective. I think that Ned doesn't know, he doesn't know who, who to trust. I don't think that anyone on that small council is trustworthy. I think that it's a very small, he wants to keep the people who know what he knows to be a very small circle. Mm-hmm. I don't think he has to necessarily trust Littlefinger, but I think he has to at least try to use him to find out more information. Well, Littlefinger knows that he's now Ned's not in his league. L- Ned is not in Littlefinger's sort of league in terms of intrigue. And I think he knows that about, right. ab- about him. But at this point, it's like That's another reason to kill him. I mean, what would happen if he killed Littlefinger? Littlefinger doesn't really have that much power. Littlefinger doesn't have that much power. Here's the power that Littlefinger has over Ned. I think Littlefinger knows that he can poke and prod Ned as much as he wants because Cat views Littlefinger as a brother. Mm -hmm. He's not going to kill his wife's brother. Yeah. You know, normally, Chad, you bring something good to the table. I'm really kind of disappointed. Yeah, so you're saying that you're I I think I was probably I was so here's what's going on. I was a little irritated with Cat. I think it was really stupid that she told Littlefinger what about their suspicion. And so I was sort of discounting what she thought. You yeah. know. Yeah. But you're right. I mean, you know, Ned's married to her and and he loves her and Moreover, this is her world more than it is his. And I think that sometimes like he trusts Cat. I think he and I think he ought to trust Cat. Yeah. And this is this is she is more of a political animal of the South than he ever will be. And I think that I mean, Littlefinger kind of outwits them both. And in hindsight, I think you're probably right. He needs a he needs a good knife to the throat or whatever. Yeah. But 
I don't think that it's. I don't think that we can call Ned stupid for not killing him right then and there. Yeah, yeah. I don't think it's stupid that he didn't kill him. I just think that that he might should have done that. Um. Yeah. All right. I let me ask you my question. It's stupid that he trusted him. Okay. Is it stupid that Frodo trusted Gollum? Did Frodo trust Gollum? That's my question. I think that Littlefinger is very much a Gollum character here, where it's like, look, I can trust Gollum in so much as I have power over him because I know he's addicted to the ring. Mm-hmm. So I can trust Gollum to act like Gollum, and I can use that. And I think that maybe that's how Ned should have a- approached Littlefinger. It's like, look... As long as he thinks he's getting something out of this, then I can trust that he's going to act in terms of his own ambition. But I'm never going to really trust him. Can Ned just expel Littlefinger from the small council? I, I'm sure he could. I'm sure he, if, if that's what he wanted to do, I'm sure he Here's could. the problem, though. He can't because Littlefinger now knows from Cat that uh-huh. they suspect the Lannisters. So if, uh-huh. he tries to, yeah, yeah. if he tries to do that, then Lan- the, the Lannisters mm-hmm. will... Mm-hmm. Uh, be brought into the mix. I see. I think so you're right. He knows too much. He knows too much, and now he he's had. It's like he either ha- and he. You know what? What Littlefinger knows, he did not learn from Ned. So by the time Ned enters this picture, um, Littlefinger already has to be on the inner circle or killed. Those are the only two options for Littlefinger, right? And you're saying, kill him. <laughs> Yeah, or the, here's the secret alternative that I mentioned before, right? You could go to Varys, uh-huh. thinking to yourself, well, I need to find out more about Varys anyway, and I know now that Littlefinger and Varys are at odds with each other. So maybe I'll go to Varys, I'll poke him a little bit and see what see what he comes out with. And maybe Varys being some sort of genius that he is, right? Maybe he'll have an idea how to handle Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe maybe Ned will be convinced that he has to decide to trust Varys. Which is See, really that's cool. that to me, that's all, all the more improbable. He hates Varys. Varys yeah. is the guy that looks like like benign on the surface. But, you know, that, the, you know, he's really dangerous deep down. On top right. of that, Kat is completely afraid of Varys. Yeah, um, I, I would much rather trust someone who is like kind of openly uncouth yeah on the surface and and you know maybe concealing you know a sweet spot for cat or something little finger brags that he has control over Varys. what is that about i have a different question for you i i will i will absolutely talk about that but i want to ask you this question first okay it would not be the first time that ned had been forced to make common cause with a man he despised mm-hmm who is the man that he despised previous to Littlefinger? Roose Bolton? He keeps Roose Bolton at, like, at arm's length. Yeah, but it's just uh, Bolton is one of his guys, right? Well, he's a banner man, right? Yeah, they have but common cause. I don't, I don't, I don't remember those two making common cause together. Yeah. I honestly I don't know what this is talking about. I don't know if I should know at this point. Right. But I don't know if Martin ever really reveals yeah. this. I mean, maybe he sees the Lannisters uh, as being kind of like that. Jamie Lannister? He had to make common cause with Jamie. Yeah. And and we know he does not 
like I mean Jamie was a kid or whatever but eventually he has to kind of ally himself with Tywin and Jamie and all those folks who turn on the Targaryens in mm-hmm. order to overthrow the Targaryens. Yeah. I could see I could see that being the case. I just I wondered if you had puzzled over that as well. Yeah, no, I I missed I missed that uh when I was reading it last night, but I my best guess is either he's thinking of Bolton or the Lannisters. So you 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 had a question about Varys. What what does Littlefinger have over Varys? Yeah. Well, we know that Littlefinger is um he's not to be trusted, right? Yeah. So he could just be lying. He could just be like boasting to Cat. Like right. the person that you must fear. Don't be afraid of him. I've 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 got <laughs> right. his balls, his metaphorical balls in my hand. <laughs> <laughs> so so it could be that he doesn't really have much over Varys, or maybe he knows that Varys is kind of um colluding. That's one of my favorite words now. Colluding uh-huh. with Ilario. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's the only thing that I can think of. Eventually, it is revealed that Varys has got some kind of... I don't, I'm not going to say treasonous, but he's got some kind of underhanded relationship with Ilario. Yeah, yeah, right. So, okay, so that's interesting because if if Ned goes to Varys and Varys knows that Littlefinger knows about Ilario, then... Varys is not going to want to move against Littlefinger. Well, at least he's, I mean, Varys is, Varys is extremely cautious. Yeah. Like he's like Littlefinger, you you know, he plays things out and, you know, he, he makes things happen, but I kind of get the feel that sometimes he'll like light a stick of dynamite under like a load bearing wall. Yeah. Just to see how the, the, the thing collapses. Right. And then thinks, okay, how can I make use of this? Where I don't think Varys is that kind of guy. I think Varys collects information, and sometimes he'll use it, sometimes he won't. But he right. does. He's not going to do anything unless he thinks he knows what the outcome is going to be. So the more I think about this, the more I'm convinced that for Ned, the smart move is to kill Littlefinger. And and here's the basic reason: uh, he can't really depend on Varys. He needs Littlefinger off of the small council in order to get control of the financial situation. He can't trust Littlefinger. Mm -hmm. And Littlefinger now knows about the Lannisters. Uh, Ned should be expecting that at some point there's likely to be war with the Lannisters. Mm -hmm. Uh, He should be worried that Littlefinger will sort of cause that to happen prematurely. For all these reasons, he should see Littlefinger as his number one problem if he's really paying attention. And I don't see a way to deal with Littlefinger other than taking him out. Mm. So that that's my case. That's that's it. It's hard to argue with you because we know what's going to happen to Ned. But I'm arguing based on things that Ned should have on the front of his mind. There's a financial crisis. Littlefinger knows destructive secrets. I can't. I don't have anybody that can help me with Littlefinger because he's got dirt on the people that might be able to help me. Mm. Um, you know, these are all things that Ned should have on the front of his mind. Do you think that Ned should send Cat back to Winterfell? W- yeah, with his daughters. Because I was think I was just thinking, if he can't trust 
Varys, he can't trust Littlefinger. Maybe he should keep Cat around and no. have someone he can trust in the city that maybe other people are will underestimate or something like that. Because right now he doesn't really have anyone. It's too it's too dangerous. He needs to send his wife and his daughters back to Winterfell. He made the right move ordering that that the North be fortified. Mm-hmm. And he needs to recognize that the people he has to trust, is, as sketchy as it is, he has to trust Renly and Stannis. Hmm. That's it. That's my view. That's what Ned should be thinking. But he does. he's not very good at this. So <laughs> He's not. And on top of that, he kind of knows that about himself. And it's weird. He's that he self-aware about this. There's a couple times in this chapter where the word game is, is mentioned. And I mean... Yeah. Because it ends up being on the cover of the book, it kind of stands out to me. But in both cases, it's Ned thinking, like, these these guys in this small council, they really enjoy playing this word game. Right. And I just hate it. I would rather... Give me a sword. I would rather face any of these idiots in the melee or whatever. See, that's what I'm suggesting, is that he should say enough of these words and, and run Littlefinger through with his sword. <laughs> and then <laughs> later on he notices that Littlefinger is better at this game of intrigue like he says it's like meat and mead for him like he just he eats it up he loves yeah. it so much and Ned just he just despises it's almost like he despises anyone who will engage in that kind of intrigue Um, so he knows he's at least self-aware enough to know that he is out of his league yeah. when it comes to the game. Would Cat right. forgive him for killing Littlefinger? I think she'd have to. <laughs> I think she, she would... Eventually she would have to, and I think that she distrusted Littlefinger. Yeah. And then he seemed like he was genuinely wanting to help her. And so then she decided, like, I'm going to trust you... And I think that a lot of times what ends up happening is, like, when you reconcile with someone, you tend to want to forget the things that made you distrust them in the first in the first place. Right. And and you tend to try to bring up memories where you had that same feeling of trust. Yeah. And so she ends up calling him, the, you know, the brother, the my long lost brother, or whatever. Yeah. Chad. I know that you think that he, Ned should kill. I don't think Ned has enough information to warrant cold-blooded murder. <laughs> well, part of the problem here is that I don't really know how to think about kind of the rules of when it's reasonable to kill someone in this in this universe. <laughs> That's part like, of my problem. Like if it was like out in the courtyard and Littlefinger, you know, spat in his face and called his wife a cow. Then it'd be like, all right, yeah, everyone's fine with him killing him now. But it's like, it's in a brothel and it's like, I can't let you live. You know too much. Then people would be kind of look side eye at it. Oh, no, I think he would just uh, sell the killing as due to Littlefinger's disrespect and mistreatment, you know. (laughs) <laughs> moving on his wife and stuff. Uh, that that would be totally he put, believable. He put my wife on a brothel. Of course yeah, I'm right, going to kill him. Right. Hmm. I, just don't needs... see, I just don't see that in Ned's character. I think if Ned did that, yeah, well, yeah. I would be complaining like, 
No, that's Ned Stark. He's not going to do that. He feels guilty over killing the dire wolf. He's not going to kill <laughs> a guy for treating him badly. He he certainly needs Littlefinger off of the small council. That's that's the basic observation here. Mm. Yeah, that's true. And he yeah. can't do it because he knows too much. Yeah. He could promote Littlefinger. Mm-hmm. He could say, you know what? I'm going to give you all of this land. Mm-hmm. And and here's a castle, and here's you know, yeah, send, your new bride or something. Send him off to the the Erie or something. Uh, that's kind of that's where he's angling to get right. Something I I mean you you could buy him off. You don't have to kill him. You you can yeah, use maybe his that's, ambition. Maybe that's right. Him. Maybe that would be better. It's just uh, with him knowing as much as he does you would have to really be worried about him. So here's a good question. What would Tyrion do if he was in Ned's situation? Because I don't think that Tyrion would kill Littlefinger. It's such a difficult question because Tyrion is a Lannister and his allegiance to his family is a big part of of how he makes decisions. Yeah, that's true. So you're trying to imagine Tyrion as a Stark, which is a really weird thing to try to imagine. <laughs> it is odd. It is odd. Um, I mean, but in a way, but that's I do think question. that Tyrion would do something like that, where he would like use Littlefinger's yeah. ambition against him. Right. I mean, I think maybe if you're going to go that route, like you're sort of describing carrots that you can use uh, on mm-hmm. Littlefinger, but you you also need a stick. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, you need something on Littlefinger. And I think that the problem there is that Littlefinger is very good at protecting himself uh, in that way. You know, I don't think, I think it would be very difficult to get compromising information about Littlefinger. Yeah, yeah. Um, hey, I've got a different um, a different topic that I think is adjacent to this chapter. Sure. And this is something that's going to perplex, I think, show-only listeners. So I was I, I had to find this passage. It's in a storm of swords. It's um Jamie's ninth POV chapter. Jamie and Cersei are talking about what happened to Bran. You know, we're talking about the whole cat's paw incident, right? So I'll read this little section. Cersei frowned. Joffrey had no love for Rob Stark, but the younger boy was nothing to him. He was only a child himself. And then Jamie says this to Cersei. He says, a child, speaking of Joffrey, a child hungry for a pat on the head from that sot you let him believe was his father. He had an uncomfortable thought. Tyrion almost died because of this bloody dagger. If he knew the whole thing was Joffrey's work, that might be why. And then it kind of, there's an ellipsis there and his, mm-hmm. his thoughts trail off. Mm-hmm. Okay. Clearly, in A Storm of Swords, we find out that Jamie thinks that Joffrey did it. Yeah. So my take on this has always been, well, Jamie is, Jamie doesn't know. He just thinks it was Joffrey, but what Jamie thinks is, are his motives don't really track in my mind. Here's what Jamie thinks. Jamie thinks, Joffrey doesn't really know anything about Bran, but he thinks he can impress Robert if he has Bran killed. That's what Jamie thinks. And I'm thinking, this makes no sense at all. Yeah, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? This doesn't make any sense at all. So I don't feel like I can trust 
Jamie's point of view on this one. Yeah, how did he come up with that? So, I mean, it's possible that Joffrey's involved in some way. I would want to know a lot more. I would want to know, like, what what did he think he was going to get out of it? He's, did 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 someone like Littlefinger whisper in his ear and say, you know what, you have to really impress your dad if you're going to, you know, impress your dad that uh, this is a good mercy killing. Show your dad that you have the fortitude to make the, the strong manly decision or something like that. I see. Does Robert say something about how Bran would be better off dead? I think... I think that he overhears Robert say that uh-huh. in company that includes Joffrey. Okay, okay, that makes he sense. says something. Yeah, he says something to the effect that, like, you know, yeah, it'd, it'd be better if the boy, you know, was, was dead instead of living his life as a cripple or something like that. So maybe Joffrey t- takes that and runs with it. Yeah, but Joffrey doesn't like brag about it to his dad, or you know, there's there's nothing there, right? I mean, I guess Brand isn't the deed isn't really done. Brand survives, but I just don't think I, I really don't think Jamie has the right of this one. Yeah, I don't think anyone really knows how involved Joffrey was. Yeah, I I think it's I think it's odd that that's what um, that's that that's the theory that Jamie comes up with, uh, especially from his perspective. It's like. It's what it's what Bran knows about him and Cersei. That's that's the clear motive. It's got to be someone who's trying to. I mean, right. it's either someone who's trying to protect Cersei and Jaime's secret, or it's someone that knows about Jaime and Cersei's secret and wants to make it look like they did it. And I think that could easily be Littlefinger. Right. Right. So I kind of forget. We do we never find out? I think a lot of fans would be like, "Yeah, we found out in the Storm of Swords." Jamie says that that Joffrey did it, and I think that that's enough for a lot of folks. What I'm saying is that I don't think we ever found out. Uh huh. I don't think we have ever found. I think that we found out what Jamie thinks. Yeah. So so we never found out. That is so funny. I mean, I think that we assume. I mean, we find out it's not Tyrion. I mean, that, that's clear, right? They think it's Tyrion, yeah, right, and it's right. not. Right. It's someone with this Valyrian steel dagger, uh-huh. which was probably in Tyrion's possession. So it would have had to have been someone somewhat close to Tyrion to actually get the dagger away from him. I mean, Jamie's theory is especially implausible given that. It wasn't even Joffrey. I mean, it was an assassin that I mean, you would have to suppose Joffrey had hired this assassin. Yeah, Joffrey that would hired be an assassin. Unimpressive to Robert. Joffrey right? hired an assassin. Okay, here's another part of motive. So we know that Joffrey has reason to hate his uncle, right? Yeah. All right, because all of the Joffrey slapping. I, I guess so. So he's thinking, I'm going to do this thing to impress my father, but I'm going to pin it on my uncle who I just can't stand. So I'm going to take his knife, pay an assassin to do it. He clearly doesn't pay a very good assassin. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, that that's, that does make Joffrey a little bit more plausible. How do we know that it wasn't Cersei? I don't think that we actually know that. And that was the other thing I was thinking. Because, I, I mean, it seems obviously to be Cersei to me. Like, if I didn't She have has the other. most to lose by the secret coming out. Yeah, and she hates Tyrion. 
And she hates Tyrion. Yeah. I mean, really hates him, right? And right? No, I think I mean that 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 would certainly be an option. That would certainly be it's, an option. It's funny that it never gets made like it never comes out very clearly. So here's the other sort of um, cheat that I use sometimes when I'm having these conversations. Sometimes the cheat I use is that the only people that really know are Martin and whoever Martin's told. Yeah, right. And so if the showrunners want Littlefinger's arc to come to an end mm-hmm. in a satisfying way, then they're going to ask, like, you know, what... What what happens with Littlefinger and Martin's probably going to tell them directly. Well, you know, in in the most simple terms. So that's what happens in the show. And I te- and sometimes that's a little cheat I use. I'm thinking, well, then George sure. gave George gave the Weiss and Benny off the outline, and that's that was one of the plot points mm-hmm. in the outline. Anyway. I don't know. It puzzles me that a lot of fans think that they've got this solved because of what Jamie says, I don't think we could trust Jamie. Yeah, I don't think so either. I, in fact, I'll say as far as I can tell, Cersei is the prime suspect. Hey, um, notable introductions. Yep. So we meet Pycelle in the flesh. Uh, we hear about a uh, Norvos and we sort of get a very detailed description of the links of Pycelle's chain. Notable book differences. I think that the biggest differences in this chapter from the show is that number one, Renly is just a completely different. He's just cast in a in a different way in the show. He he really comes across as someone who like just can't. You just can't imagine him on the battlefield. Whereas I think that this this chapter is meant to make us think that he's sort of. Robert Baratheon come again. Yeah. Littlefinger and Ned, like they don't do the whole sort of climb down the rock face and ride to the brothel. It's kind of just like a, it's just like a more straightforward, like sneak off to the brothel together. But you know, a lot of the sort of the key points are the same. Uh, One other question for you. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. I, I did notice Littlefinger when he was talking about Varys, he said, Something like if the pie is open, the birds begin to sing. You know, Varys wouldn't like that. That that's a that's a weird reference to a to a real nursery rhyme. Oh, it is. I didn't I didn't recognize that. Let me look it up real quick. Yeah, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. Right. That's that's right. Sing a song of sixpence is the name of the. I'm looking at Wikipedia here. Okay, so so it says. Uh, Sing a song of sixpence, a pocket full of rye, four and twenty blackbirds baked in a pie. When the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. Wasn't that a dainty dish to set before the king? The king was in his counting house, counting out his money. The queen was in the parlor, eating bread and honey. The maid was in the garden, hanging out the clothes. When down came a blackbird and pecked off her nose, and shortly after that there came a little wren, as she sat upon a chair and put it on again. Uh, so that's that's one version of it. I don't know if there's any significance to that. What is, uh, okay, what does uh, Littlefinger actually say? Because it doesn't sound like a direct quotation. 
He says, if the pie is opened, the birds begin to sing. And is that a direct quote? Well, when the pie was opened, the birds began to sing. Oh, all right. Yeah, that's, that's certainly an illusion. Yeah. And there's yeah. a counting house and a king and a queen. And I just, I, yeah, don't, yeah. I don't know what to make of it. Maybe nothing. Huh. I don't know what to make of it either. It is a really weird thing to say. We know that Varys has little birds, right? Yeah. And the birds sing only to Varys. Right. And he and Varys wouldn't like it if the birds, you know, sung out for everyone. Right. Aside from that, I don't know what to make of that saying. I guess it's also true. I was just reading. I guess they serve pigeon pie at, at certain wedding feasts. So the other interpretation that I could come up with is four and 20. Four and 20 could just mean marijuana. <laughs> and so we could, so the pie could just be like an edible. That's, that's probably what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I think we cracked it, man. I think All we right, cracked sweet. It. And now Steve and I jump into Season 3, Episode 1, Valar Duharis. This is the episode where John meets Mance Raider and Danny shopping around for an army. And we get one of these vintage exchanges between Tyrion and Tywin. Here is comic Steve Osborne. Steve, as someone who has lost a nibble, mm-hmm. do you feel a certain affinity for the Unsullied? Yeah, that scene was... Uh... It was, yeah. At one point, I was like, don't worry, dude. It'll come back. <laughs> like, I wanted to comfort him. You know, he probably wouldn't have cared because, you know. He's well, he doesn't unsullied. care about anything. Clearly. No. But unless he already knows, it'll come back. I've seen this. <laughs> happens every other week. Well, because you got to figure there's there's a lot of these guys, and, and there's a reason they have them covered like that. I'm sure this is all part of the sales pitch, right? And everybody knows. It's just like, you know, it's it's like if you're selling Cutco knives, yeah, you're going to cut the penny with the scissors at some point, And that's going to be the thing that sells the rest of the knives. And that's the thing you're giving away with the knives. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's that's the trick, right? I mean, you cut the nipple off after your whole presentation. Everybody's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then the nipple cuts off. Like, all right. How many of these are you selling? This guy has no reaction. None. And it is the right nipple. Mm hmm. This is the exact nipple that you lost. It's the, yeah. It's like I was there. And yet, for some reason, I think that maybe his stoicism was a little bit better than yours. Oh, for sure. Yeah. No, I, that was a long period of just sort of wandering around with the, with a flaky nipple in my hand and disbelief. It's like, <laughs> like holding a mostly sucked on butter rum lifesaver is, I believe, how I put it before. <laughs> uh, so. <laughs> So, uh, so Danny, <laughs> Danny's considering buying a slave army. Mm-hmm. Uh, in the same way that you're trying to shop around for the best army. Sure. Little Attack of the Clones ish. Yeah, it is a little bit. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That's right. There's an assassination attempt on Danny's life. But then Obi Wan saves her. He's an old guy, but uh, clearly he's got some sort of love for the Targaryens. And he's maybe a little bit of, he wants to repay the Joffrey's dishonor. Right, right. You know, here's a guy, he's sort of, he's sworn to protect someone. He needs someone to protect. That's kind of who he is. So if he can't be under the 
in the employ of one king, he's got to go find a upstart queen. I suppose. That's right. It's a startup. We find out that Cersei tried to have her brother killed. Right. At least this is what Vera says. And I think that we're supposed to believe it. Yeah, I kind of get that, right? And she's like playing it off like, hmm, yeah, guess that happened. What are you going to do about it? Right. Well, because it's a power move either way, right? Even if it isn't true. Uh, the fact that there's that level of suspicion does give does shift the balance of power and it complicates their relationship to the point where it's like, yeah, you know, I was I went out of my way to do this. I could do it. I wouldn't be here if I did. You know, and so there is something about that. They just become, you know, more. I don't well, know. they become equal. Yeah. I mean, before Tyrion had the upper hand and she was sort of like, yeah, I, I can't really do anything about you shipping my daughter off. Um, there's nothing really I can do besides keep secrets from you. And now it's clearly she's got the upper hand, I think. This is the convergence that's eventually coming and trying to understand what, who's playing what. But that's the, it's kind of the theme, right? I mean, who's, who's zooming who in this situation? Steve, it's who's zooming whom, please. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> I, I, I come from a different time. <laughs> you do, yes. You have time travels from the early 90s. To this moment right now. Marjorie is good at politicking with the kids. Right. Well, and this kind of goes, I mean, it was interesting because it does go back to a lot of what Tyrion was talking about before, like about how, you know, or not, was it, was it Tyrion or was it, who was he talking with about the, um, it's the, it's like, essentially it's the poverty and the hunger that becomes the issue during the revolt. That was Braun, right? Talking yeah, about that's right. That's right. There's an advantage to taking care of these folks. You can't just ignore the people. Well, this is why Joffrey is, Joffrey is just too stupid to live. <laughs> he just has no idea that this is actually a good thing for him. Right. To actually play some politics and get his subjects to have a, a warm feeling for him. Right. So now you have an, an added element, right, with Marjorie, right? Because she's she's calculated. She has a goal. You know, we talked before about how, like, Sansa is, is she, you know, what's her motivation? Why does she continue to sort of play along? Why was she doing all that? Was it because there was just this young girl in her that still wanted to be mm -hmm. a queen? And, and which could be the case, but also it shows that, you know, she's looking at a, still a very romanticized view of what it means to be a queen, whereas Marjorie understands the game that goes along with it and what the role of the queen can be. And we haven't seen that really from anybody ex with the exception maybe of Cersei. Well, see, I was going to say, I think that what we're seeing here is sort of a dramatic pairing of Cersei and a younger version of Cersei. Right. Which And in uh, this episode, Joffrey even sort of calls out his mother's age. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden, here's Marjorie, She and she's not going to be bullied in the same way that Sansa was. Right. And she plays it real real cool i mean she she's still and she holds authority even when she defers in a way she's she's sort of firing shots right at cersei but having no fingerprints on the arrows yeah yeah she's good at this and cersei recognizes that right and joffrey who's just like you know he's he's regardless of what we've seen in the past he's got a little bit of he's he's a horny boy but he also wants he wants a queen that's like 
that can be helpful, right? Like not someone that he's necessarily been saddled with, but someone that he can be like, yeah, all right, let's do something. Let's get weird. John, uh, John meets the, the king beyond the wall. So this is a guy named Mance Raider who used to be a crow. That's a whole back and forth. So I still think we're in the same spot where it's like, is this, is this John shifting towards desertion of his post or is this John still perhaps trying to, you know, continue the plot that uh, half hand had in mind? Well, okay. So like with any good undercover cop show, you know, the cop that's undercover He's going to get a lot of the streets in him. Yeah. He's going to go native a little bit. That's right. He's Donnie Brasco. In fact, he's going to need to do that in order to be believable. Right. The people he's investigating. Now, with John, uh, he's a little wild himself. Sure. This whole sort of system of patriarchy, and this hasn't really gone well for him. In addition to that, he seems to like one of these wildlings. I think he's... And he's and he maybe got, in for egret, and he's got he's got plausible deniability. If things got a little little juicy between them, he could be like, "I was undercover." Okay, I think so. that the big takeaway from this episode, Steve, is the exchange between Tyrion and Tywin. Oh, for sure, that's the big one. Tyrion, in his father's eyes, is a creature of envy, lust, and low cunning. Yeah, and he will never be heir to Castor the Rock. No, no. That's uh, them's fighting words. I mean, after everything that Tyrion did, man. Well, that's, yeah, and that's what makes it even, like, that That scene becomes so, like, whoa, because, you mean, know, there was this sense of when he was named to the hand, and we had this yeah. conversation back, you know, like, there's still a sense of, like, even then, it wasn't like Tywin's, like, you're my dog, or you got this, but it was, it was a certain sense of, like, okay, look, I don't really want to do this. But this would mean an awful lot to you. And, you know, maybe you'd be, maybe you'd be good. I almost seem like, you know, now when you look through that back and forth through this lens of this episode, it's kind of like it felt more like, eh, well, yeah, go ahead, be the hand. Like there wasn't this level of maybe he really trusts him and saw something in him. Well, earlier, the exchange that Tywin and Tyrion had previously was that, you know, he kept on saying, you're my son, you're a Lannister. Mm hmm. And you're going to be hand of the king. You're going to rule in King's Landing. It was almost like he had sort of risen to respect right. Tyrion. Now it's sort of revealed that, I mean, there was even a hint that he doesn't even really think that Tyrion's his son. Right. Yeah, because at first I thought, like, when this back and forth was going, I'm like, okay, maybe Cersei poisoned the well. And, and it sounds like to a certain degree she did, right? Like, I mean, the reports of him just philandering and this and that. Yeah. And, like, so, and so it really just sort of negated any anything that he made like if he did do good stuff in the battle it was almost like he crammed for the final but in reality i mean like in the exchange it's like there was so much more that i mean Tyrion really kept that place not just in the battle but like all together kept it from running absolutely amok yeah then tywin shows up and from his perspective he's like the battle was almost lost when i showed up and you're just there like bleeding out on the battlefield clearly you're not good at this Right. And then I find out the one thing I told you not to do, you did in bringing shade to King's Landing. Right, right. So from his perspective, you had your shot. Clearly, you're not up for this. You're as disappointing as I thought you were initially. 
Right. And just adding more and more and more insult to it. Right. I mean, like, you know, you, you killed my wife, essentially. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. If there was ever a question about whether or not Tyrion and his father were going to be able to rebuild things, I think this this episode ends that notion. Well, because the sibling rivalry almost has baked into it um, father's approval. The fact that he sent Tyrion created at least the illusion to both of them now that we've seen the reality, but like the illusion to both of them that he saw him in a new light. And that light was could be as equals or maybe even as superior to Cersei. And that is a major shift given who he is in the family and all of that, right? So it's like, and now that's been stripped away. So just- I get the sense that if if he hadn't spent a few days unconscious, things could have gone differently. Like if, for Perhaps. instance, if the Hound didn't run away and the Hound could have led the battle, Tyrion could have like been conscious when his dad showed up. Right. Then Cersei wouldn't have had just total carte blanche to just say whatever she wanted. Things would have gone differently. But because of Tyrion's bravery, because he almost died on the battlefield, he didn't have the freedom to spin it in his direction. Right. Or just lay out the facts. <laughs> or just lay out the facts. Like he, like he had mentioned before, he says it's not slander if what we say is true. So we met Lord of Bones. Yeah. And uh, he, he saw ourselves that- a real giant. Saw ourselves a real giant. Add that to the list of magical stuff. Yeah, no doubt. What do you think about the giant? Surprisingly okay with it. <laughs> really? Yeah. I like the fact that he's. I like the fact that he was fairly antisocial. Yeah, yeah. Uh, in the book, I think that he calls John a little girl or something. Ooh, I like that. And he laughs at him. I like a saucy giant. I like a giant that doesn't need a hammer. He can just mm-hmm. pound a tent stake into the ground with his fist. Yeah, that's what well, I expect out of my giants, Steve. <laughs> saving on you're saving on supplies. Okay, so then we meet a uh, Tormen Giants Bane. Sure. Uh, what do you think about that guy? Uh, you know, typical ginger. And then we meet Mance Raider. This guy's got some charisma and uh, he seems to be intelligent. And yet he seems to be all in on John joining the Night's Watch. Like, it might be more believable if he just killed John right there. Yeah, I can see that. Um, Davos wakes up on an island. Right. Very and, determined uh, to bring Stannis back to, to reality. Or at least kill Melisandre. Right, sure. Uh, you know, he's thinking, my my son's dead. Someone's got to die. And uh, we got to meet our little pirate again. Yeah. I love that little guy, man. He's a fun, fun little fellow. Salador San is his name. And uh, he's got a lot of good sense. He's got some great one-liners. Yeah, he does, for sure. And he just loves being a pirate. That's his what? thing. He he may be the happiest man in Westeros. <laughs> he knows what he wants. He doesn't want too much. He's pretty, you know, he's pretty happy with who he is. Not, he's not going to play the Game of Thrones. He might try to get with Cersei every yeah. now and again, but yeah, I don't yeah. feel like he wants to force the issue. No, no, no. He'd like to see it happen organically if it could. Yeah. I mean, it, it's nice to know that there is someone in Westeros that's just pretty content. Yeah. <laughs> I wish all pirates were as... Happy and fun-loving as Salador's song. Yeah, we're, I think we're led to believe that as children. <laughs> yeah. 
pirates are very likable characters. And right. Just, uh... Yeah, I mean, you'll dress your children up as them, right? But you won't, you know, you'll dress your child up as a as a pirate, but you wouldn't dress them up, say, as like Bill Cosby or Mike Tyson. No, because that would be untasteful. All right. Yeah. So we've got a few different pairings. Now we have, you know, we Arya's with Hot Pie and uh, Gendry. Gendry, yeah. And, uh, and she's got a and she's got a cheat code to get Jacken back. Oh yeah, she's got a new name. That's right. She's got herself a coin and a little uh, Valar Magulis. Yeah. And then so we have that John and this King Beyond the Wall. That'll be interesting. John and Ygritte. That'll be interesting. Well, this and then the Varys, um, with what's her name? Is an interesting Roz, Varys and Roz. Yeah, yeah Varys right. and Roz set up a little little alliance last go around, and mm-hmm. and now she's got a little double agent duty going on. Now, the first time I watched this, I thought that they killed Ross. I thought that Joffrey killed both of the prostitutes. Mm. So I was kind of surprised to see her because she's not a book character. She's sort of an invention of the show. And I thought, well, she's kind of served her purpose. Right. And that was their way of like getting rid of her. Then she stood in as the, what they thought was going to be Shay. That's right. That's right. And, and so, so she's like her character. So she's, she's been a good soldier, so to speak. And now it feels like she's been upgraded. Oh, she's just a survivor. Yeah. Either she still has some love for Sansa. Or she is a very good henchman for Littlefinger, who wants to get close to Sansa. Right. So Danny is in a city called Astapor, and her plot is going to revolve around these slaver cities in Essos. And we get to meet the Unsullied, the slave army, and figure out what Danny's going to do. With She's got a, a slave army and some dragons. That seems like that's helpful. And she's got a scorpion killing old man now. Yeah. So yeah, that's the thing is she got a, you know she has you know which may complicate things in her little ranks. But uh, if there was some old man that wanted to follow me around and just kill scorpions, I'd be okay with it. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, he would only have to do the one, and I would never. I would always assume I need him. <laughs> you have a job for life, sir. Yeah, I'm like I, I didn't expect that one. So, I don't expect another one. <laughs> you will always have bread at my table, so far as you are able to kill all the scorpions in my path. If you have a question or rebuke for Anthony or Steve, you can send that to book at baldmove.com. For this week's Bird's Eye View, I'd like to read a few paragraphs from Caroline Larrington's book, Winter is Coming. Caroline is a medievalist at Oxford, and we're going to have her on the podcast coming up pretty shortly. Uh, This is a great book, Winter is Coming. It's put out by Bloomsbury. I'm going to read from pages 128 going forward. I'll skip a few paragraphs here and there. One enduring question about the finances of the Westerosi polity is quite how Peter Baelish, with his thriving brothel business, comes to be entrusted with financial responsibility. The answer lies in the past. Littlefinger embodies the kind of rising man who could take advantage of new opportunities for social mobility. In this respect, if not in most others, he's reminiscent of Chaucer. Chaucer's father and grandfather were both London wine merchants. 
the well-connected bourgeois family were able to place their son as a page in the house of the Countess of Ulster. Thus, his royal connections began. Soon he was traveling to Europe with his noble masters, journeying as far as Italy and Spain on the king's business, and marrying one of the queen's ladies-in-waiting. Chaucer was appointed as comptroller or master of customs at the Port of London, serving in that capacity for 12 years. In 1389, he was appointed clerk of the king's works, traveling far afield to oversee the king's building programs. The bourgeois young man ended his career in major, if not stellar, royal offices. These would have been reserved for nobility. Littlefinger is no Chaucer. As far as we know, at least, we don't see him working on his poetry in his private moments. Nevertheless, from relatively humble origins in the Fingers, a depressingly poor patch of land north of the Vale, from a house that can't even attract its own maester, he has done extraordinarily well. Like the Chaucer's, Littlefinger's fortunes thrive on social unrest. Here's a quote from a conversation between Littlefinger and Varys. Chaos isn't a pit. Chaos is a ladder. Many who try to climb it fail and never get to try again. The fall breaks them, and some are given a chance to climb. They cling to the realm or the gods or love. Only the ladder is real. The climb is all there is. Fostered at Riverrun with the more power and the better-born Tollies, Peter exploited Lysa Aaron's romantic obsession with him. John Arryn made him Master of Customs at Goldtown, the principal port of Vale, where his acumen increased income to the Vale ten times over. This began his social ascent. So according to Larrington, who's an expert on the topic, there are a few more parallels here between Chaucer and Baelish than I had previously seen, and I appreciated those, and I'm going to be excited to have her on the pod in just a few weeks. I hope you are too.